Flip uh, this around. All right, three, two, one. All right, so Shop Class Podcast, we got a big night. Tonight, first up, Duke Wazowski coming to us from East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's going to give us like a shop tour because it was an open house tonight. But the main event is about entrepreneurship in the classroom. And tonight's guest is Elise Burden. I'll just give you a, click, a quick uh, preview of what that's going to look like. Um, she is the uh, co-founder, executive director of uh, what they call EdCorp Real World Scholars. She's going to tell us more about it. I think they give you a platform on how to run the entrepreneurship. It's almost like an online store, but it's a closed loop within the school. I'm not sure exactly how it works. Also on the show to tell us how it actually works in the classroom is Barbercheck, Mr. Barbercheck, an OG shop teacher, uh, a shop class podcast co-founder. He's going to come on. He's actually done it before, and this is his actual uh, classroom is right, uh, right here. And these are the things he sold, and they're all out of stock. I actually bought one of them once. Okay, so starting off the night, Duke, you want to give us a tour? Yeah, let's go. All right. I think I missed I missed the first round when everybody gave their shop tours, and I was at the okay. North Campus, so that was like a half hour ride home. Nice. So I didn't want to do a I didn't want to do a tour when you know if I had to drive up there. Eight o'clock, but this worked out because we are open house. Yeah, we got the call. Parents have to leave, and let me nice. put this around. So we got a it used to be like a graphic arts lab. All right. So. Let me just tell Damien what's going on. Damien, we're doing a quick open house tour with Duke, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania Middle School. Then we're gonna get to the Ed Corp, which is. Um, uh, entrepreneurship in the classroom, and then Barbara Check's going to come on and tell us how that actually works in his actual classroom. That's what we're doing. How you doing? You good? Yeah, not too bad. How's All my right. mic and everything? Uh, oh, yeah, we hear you. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Okay. I couldn't, All right. I couldn't remember my setup. Yeah, you're good. All right, Duke, take it away. All right, I first started teaching here 1997. Started here, there's only one. There was only one middle school. Then... St Wait, Duke, let me so ask big. you a question. Yeah. Dude, can you get on the Wi-Fi? Because it's a little spotty. No, not no. on my phone. Okay, open the window or something because it's a little spotty. <laughs> let me just <laughs> let me just walk around. Okay. All right, this is cool. We're gonna get a little middle school tour here. All right, it's better. Uh wow. A little bit. Just talk slower, so in case it drops out. There you go. All right. So this right here used to be used to be a dark room. In here, dark room. So have this okay. by seven. We gotta get into the, you know, up to date. So then this turned into our robot room. Nice robot room. Uh, we lost him in the robot room. <laughs> Yeah, you need good Wi-Fi if you're going to do a tour. <laughs> All right, we lost you in the robot room, but it used to be photography. All right, That's cool. Spotty. Here's the okay, uh, robots back. that we build. All right, so these are like the Vex robots. The kids are 
They're better than I am with these. Nice. Is it next competition? So that's why I wanted to get. Yeah, these are the ones we do in the competition. TSA, we have a Vex Robotic competition. And that's why I was talking to Jared from Australia about the BattleBots. Oh, yeah. That's cool. So here's an engraver. Here's my seat. My brother made this metal toolbox. Uh, all shops have the drill presses. Your brother, made a, your brother made a toolbox? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years ago. Oh, okay. I just set up our 3D printers. I was printing some keychains for open house. All right. That's a nice Here's our 3D printers. Laser engraver. Oh, what kind of laser is that? I think we just got the same one. Full spectrum. Okay. Okay. All right. So it has the bypassing doors. It's doors. It's a pretty good one. Uh, uh, Blue Quest, just give you an update. We're doing a quick, quick open house with Duke, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. He's uh, he's already there, so he's just gonna do an open house. We're waiting on Elisa, Elise for uh, Ed Corp. She does, you know, you know the deal. So, and then Barbara checks coming yeah. later. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I saw, here's I saw our Duke man. had a open house. Here's nice. our Manus printer. Remember when oh, we yeah. had Joe on this show? All right, so just fired that one back up. Look, it sat all summer. I feel bad, but it sat all summer. I found a file, drew one on Tinkercad, threw it on the computer, thing fired back up like it didn't miss a beat. Wow, that's awesome. Here's our Terrazzo. Terrazzo sinks. Oh, no way. <laughs> Here's our office. And then our wood shop. So in the wood shop, we do still have some metal tools. No, you're well, breaking your yep. So see if we can get the CNC router. Our drill presses, storage, planer joiner, saw stop. Wow. Shear. Do you have, do you have no oh nice shear. Do you have another teacher there? We used to. This is the first year I'm by myself. Oh wow. And a slew of scroll saws. Saw that dangerous radial arm saw. <laughs> and our, sure. So many people hate those things. That's it. Wow, that's a pretty good shop. Yeah, yeah it's nice. nice middle school, it's pretty big. Yeah, that's good that you keep it alive. You're doing a good job over there. Well, I just got back to this school full time. So... I want to incorporate some things, add some things. You know, it's the first time back in a little bit. I was at this school half the year and then the other school for half the year. Now I'm full-time up here. This is the one that's closer to town. Oh, you had a travel? Yeah, it's only travel? half an hour away. 
this one's only a mile away. So, okay. and then I was at a webinar today about these drones. We're trying to get into a drone competition. That's great, man. I'm so glad you're doing that. You're, and then do they have, do, do they do stuff at the high school or are you, that's it. End of the road. Oh no. Yeah. They have, they have, def, they definitely have classes at the high school. They have a wood shop. They have a TV studio, uh, electronics, you know, they still do the drawing. Um, there's a little bit of robots, so there's a bunch of classes that they can take at the high school. Is that air hockey or is that uh, Vex? No, that's that's the Vex. That's the Vex Arena for Vex IQs. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I mean that's the future right there. And uh, you know, it's funny we were talking about. Uh, I always talk about Tesla, but uh, Barbacek actually made a really nice discovery, and it's kind of interesting about because you know. Robots and sometimes Vex has automation, right? Not just you program it and it can follow a line or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Vex has that online tutorial as well where you can code them in the virtual world. It's nice. Okay, so check this out. You know, Tesla came out with these uh, humanoid robots, but they were saying that it's going to replace labor, and that's what everybody's focused on. However, Barbacek is a genius. He realized that maybe – it's going to be a chauffeur for all the other cars that can't keep up with the tech. So you could still buy your Chevy, but you put the robot in there to drive you around. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so funny. You're like, you don't even want, I love driving. I drive a five speed, but like <laughs> for your daily commuter, if you want to drive across the country, if you're driving to Florida, just let the thing drive you. <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't, if you can't get an electric car, Tesla, yeah, get the chauffeur. Yeah, and so these kids are like the ones you're training now. In ten years from now, that'll be normal, and that that'll be their lives. So you're you're actually the first one to introduce them to the future. It would be like teaching someone how to code for Netflix, and then all of a sudden Netflix becomes the dominant like streaming, or like how to teaching kids about the internet, and then all of a sudden the internet. Becomes the dominant thing. Hey, perfect timing. Elise is here. All right. I'm going to go off and then I'll meet you guys back up in a little bit. Okay. Perfect timing. All right. Thanks, Duke. That's great. All right. See you guys in a little bit. Okay. Elise, perfect timing. The timing couldn't have been better. <laughs> oh, you got to unmute yourself. We can't hear you. I said that was great because I'm five minutes late. And so I'm, I'm glad our schedules synced no. perfectly. Today, I'm telling you, today is synced up. You just got to stay up. You got If you're late, just keep going. That's, what, that's my motto for today. <laughs> it's my motto every day, I think. Okay, that works. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let me catch you up. So we are recording already. And what we, what we did was uh, Duke is a teacher in East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania uh, for middle school. He just left. But... Uh, he gave us a shop tour. So we got a middle school shop tour. Yep. You're going to give us uh, an overview and some uh, some insight into the entrepreneurship in the classroom. And then we're actually going to have Barbara Check get on here. Um, I don't know, maybe towards the end when you're done. Um, and he'll probably come in at the perfect time as well. And he's going to tell us how he actually used it in the classroom. Uh, so this is going to be like full circle. This is great. I can't wait. Uh, I love 
what his students have done. They have a brilliant TikTok that has brought me to laughing tears multiple times. So, uh, oh, wait, he's a TikTok to- genius. He's not a normal teacher. So, you know, he's a cool teacher. He's yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh, so, I always start with the first. What, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Oh, I don't think, I think I was just a heavy breath. Okay. First question I ask everybody is, did you have shop class growing up? I don't think I did. That's okay. Neither did I. It's all right. Uh, And, and so, but here you are helping out the shop classes. Yeah. Well, I'll say this. I had a lot of proximity starting in college. Like my college boyfriend was a welder and we are still great friends. And so even though he was studying like history and theology, he welded in the garage. That's what he did on the summers, you know? And so even though I don't feel in retrospect, like I was probably responsible enough to hold, you know, anything with a flame, uh, I I got to start like toying around. Uh, And the other thing for me was that, you know, my mom owned all the power tools in my house. Uh, and it was like a real DIY, like my parents came from, you know, like, uh, small beginnings. And so there was always just this, like, how can we hack this? You know? And so, uh, I've always been a tinkerer. And I think one of the reasons I probably didn't have shop class, I remember it was offered at my high school, but you know, that hyper-focus on like traditional academia. And I think shortly after I left high school, I was like, wait a minute, that would have been so fun. I like this, I like, give me a tool. Let me make things like let me go. And, and even today, I'm like a little bit dangerous um, because I have like a desire to use tools, but probably not the proper, uh, you know, technique or safety protocol. Uh, but I do have a really special space in my heart for just all making. All right. Well, you got the right taste in guys and Perfect. you got a good start. Right. <laughs> That's funny because my mom had the power tools as well. And because she was an artist and she would work with sculpture. So you had to have Whoa. Some sort of power tool, otherwise you'd never make it through the marble. Um, it would take forever. And then my dad, his tool was the uh, butter knife, and he'd break them all. Yeah, he was terrible. He's a bit of a hack. So, uh, <laughs> so a very interesting background. I like. It. And so now, um, Ron, you take after your father then. <laughs> oh, geez, I knew that was coming. Okay, <laughs> welcome. That's Tim. a hack. You're a hack. <laughs> okay. Yes, well, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. So Tim, Tim Zavecki is shop teacher. We're all shop teachers here. Uh, and we got Shane Peterson as well uh, from around the country. And in fact, Duke is uh, – sorry, um, Damien's actually from Australia. So you got a big crowd in the house. Global uh, community. Yes. Uh, Nick is coming to uh, – tech fireman Nick is coming to us from upstate New York. And Bloomquest is coming from uh, uh, Illinois. Uh, close to St. Louis, right? Okay, sort of. Okay. Yep. Uh, Tim, I always forget the town you're in in, in New Jersey. Uh, sort of west of this, like two hours west of the city. Yeah, I'm in Warren County, New Jersey, but I live in eastern Pennsylvania, the okay. home of Crayola Crayons. Is it really? Yeah, it is. The, it's the home of Crayola Crayon. That's where they make them. Dude, I like the beard. You're you're getting very shop teacher looky. Yeah. yeah, the funny thing was um, it was starting to look a little raggy, so I, I trimmed it up. And the whole idea was I was going for the picture. I wanted it in the yearbook. I wanted it like raggy and like, but the yearbook picture is not until the 20th. Now, the other thing is that I do is I wear my father, I wear my grandfather's shirt 
ever since I've been at this new school, I've been wearing my grandfather's shirt and like those old vintage, like gray safety glasses. Oh yeah. Or them every year in the picture. Oh my God. So, and every, every year I do post a picture of me in the, uh, in the garb. And, uh, so it is kind of funny. I wish I did it. I wish I did that years ago, you know, back in 2001, when I started, I was just wearing the same thing, you know, cause that was, that would be funny. Oh my God. This is so shop teacher. <laughs> yeah, but I don't go, I don't go flannel. You know, I don't, I don't go flannel like, like a lot of shop teachers. Oh, yeah. are glad. That's I did school. flannel last year. I've been rocking flannels. I got, a, I got like 10 of them in the closet. Yeah, that's kind of the shop teacher way to go. I don't know, but my school right now has been so freaking hot. I yeah. can't stand it. It's, it's unbearable. It's hard. My shop is unbearable right now. Then we got, we got Shane. Shane, where are you coming to us from again? I forgot. Northwest Iowa. Ah, okay. All right. Uh, he's got an uh, auto shop there, right? That's what it, yep. you're doing? Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, Blue Quest is doing a builds houses from scratch, which is so cool. Uh, so we got a kind of round table here. So Elise, what is the deal? Um, what is Ed Corpse, and how did you get into it? How did I get into it? So it's funny because I, I it was an accident. Uh, I t turns out I co-founded this whole this whole business uh, situation, and as something I fell into. I was kind of moving through. I'm from LA. I moved to San Diego, and I met my co-founder. And uh, he said, you know, I've got I've got some cash. I want to give students money to run businesses. And it was like very clear. Oh, there it is. Uh, you know, there's obviously lots of programs where students could like think through businesses and come up with business plans and business ideas, and they could you know pitch them sometimes to judges. But there was very few opportunities for like young people to run businesses, to have like the actual experience of making and selling things, interacting with real people, um, and really having that like iterative, entrepreneurial, like risky experience. You know, that that, that heart palpitation when you have to actually talk to a stranger uh, and put your work out there. Uh, we wanted to see that kind of thing happen. And that was uh, back in 2014. And so as a result of, you know, hundreds of conversations with educators, we developed the EdCorps platform, which was, uh, which is an e-commerce dashboard that allows pretty much any class K through 12 across the United States to run a student run business. Um, and what that looks like, it, you know, it really crosses, oh, those are toolkits. Oh, is this the, should I run this presentation? Is this like perfect timing? Mm -hmm. This is a so this is we provide our classes with all sorts of resources, right? Because originally we started with an e-commerce dashboard and we said, hey, we're entrepreneurs, we're not teachers, we're not gonna tell you what to do. Like we're gonna give you money and go. And then teachers were like, no, but seriously, tell us what to do. Like give us anything. And so over the years we have like scaffolded this experience a little bit so that classes have a loose kind of roadmap to support that entrepreneurial learning experience, whether they're in the second grade and they're upcycling Crayola crayon bits into candles, which is a really lovely project that I am stoked on. And, or they're, you know, a high school welding class and they're making furniture and we've seen all sorts of student run businesses. And so what you're looking at right now is one of our toolkits and we've got about 25 of them. And they're just five simple steps, each of them that kind of walk students through a, it's kind of a design thinking-esque entrepreneurial process. 
that each, you know, with each activity, they have to think through some piece of the business. This one's, you know, their mission statement. They are tasked to create something, connect with the public in some authentic way, get feedback, and then solidify that, right? And so whether it's, you know, them taking their mission statement to mentors and getting feedback or designing their business cards and taking them to graphic designers for feedback or, you know, actually planning an event and having that event and then reflecting on that event and saying, this is what we would do differently. It's really about getting their work out there, getting their ideas out there and having an, you know, an ongoing, you know, the ongoing opportunity to practice, to fail, to try again, to clean up their processes and learn as they go. And so um, we see, we've been working with Harbor Freight Tools for Schools, I think for the last four years, time is weird, uh, but I think for the last four years, we've been working with them to support skilled trades classrooms specifically. Um, and we've supported probably over 30 classrooms now in the high school skilled trade space that are yeah, running. I see you got, you got the build, the, the build Hawks, which I think that's Barber check. That you is. Wyoming woodworkers. Yeah. And then you got, uh, metal, uh, SCT, uh, TC metal. So it's like all these schools have, have gave, give this a shot. Some of these videos are great. Like I've watched some of these. Uh, you just click on them and then, it, you know, pop up, um, they give examples of the kids like making products and then actually having to deliver on it, you know? Yeah. Wh and why is this so innovative? It seems like this is exactly what school should be. I know it's the wildest thing. I feel like every, since the very beginning, when we would talk to folks about this, because that was so much, such a big part of our process was talking to educators, like what would work for you? What did you wish you had? You know? And so regularly people are like, I, I can't believe I didn't have this when I was a kid. I would have loved to have this. Like, you know, and even just looking back at the skills that we all had to learn as adults that were like pulling teeth, like around like time management and, you know, like even public speaking, like these are all things that are kind of baked into the entrepreneurial experience, right? And so we know that young people need these experiences, but classrooms aren't often set up naturally to do this, to have young people sharing their work out in the community, building relationships, et cetera. Um, and I would say that with the exception of the skilled trade space. And I think it's been one of the most beautiful things about our partnerships with uh, you know, the community and, and the teachers that we have supported is it's such a perfect fit. Like skilled trades classrooms, are already making things. Most, uh, many skilled trades classrooms are already sharing their things with the public in some sort of authentic way, whether it's selling their things at the end of the year or you know having some sort of partnership with local associations. Like we just see so much rad stuff happening. And so it was a really a natural segue for us to start supporting these particular kind of cohort of classrooms with the e-commerce piece so that they could take that you know experience that they were already having into a new place right where they could reach people beyond their friends family soccer coaches etc um right yeah like i you know like for instance even tim is on the show tonight he makes um with his students they make like these beautiful wood turned um bowls and they're actually sought after and in my opinion i think they're pretty cool but then of course you might not have the time but if the kid at least tried to create a business, they might, they might, it might lead to something new. Tim, what do you think about your kids turning those into a business uh, of some kind? All right. Well, I can kind of give you a background. Um, I, I, I don't know if the bowls are a real lucrative business in sense of the time that, you know, you're really working on the lathe and the sanding and, and the, the, you know, all, all that other time involved. I think there's just so much that you got to put into those to get the product that you need. So, I mean, I guess it's the time versus the cost is, 
you know, it, it, that's, that's an issue. But the one thing that we did try was the one year we tried to manufacture these little Jeeps. And the neat thing about that was I actually got the idea from another teacher at a local school to mine. And I said, yeah, this, this should be pretty cool. This should be something that we could do. And I went, I went with the whole idea. Well, the problem was it was the first time doing it and it really did not, there was no buy-in from the students. It was very difficult to get them to, you know, maintain the quality and maintain the excitement. And, and it was one of those like, what are, why do we have to do this? And it, we, I really struggled. And I think what kind of put the kibosh on that was when we got shut down in March for a quarantine, it was now I'm stuck with all these Jeeps and some of them have crooked wheels and some of them are, you know, good. And I tried to sell a couple of them, but you know, if I sold 10, I think that was a lot and we made a hundred and something. So, but so, yeah, I think that you're right. Like if you try, if you tell a student to do something, it's probably not going to happen. But if they, if it's their ambition, like at least, how do you handle the buy-in? But that's something you'd advise. But let me re let me add on to this. So when when we transition to this manufacturing program that we're running now, um, I also sat down with the kids for three weeks. We brainstormed ideas. We came up with like five hundred different project ideas, and then we narrowed them down. And I let the kids pick and choose, and I kind of directed them a certain way as to what they wanted to do or what they should be doing, trying, trying to really say to them, you know, you want to make wooden sunglasses. Like, come on, that's not something that's feasible in, in our environment. We can't, we cannot do that. And that's what they were trying to make. And they were trying to make these things that were just out of our, our number one, our comfort level, and number two, our ability level. So yeah, but we, I'm, just, I'm just curious about like what her process is because – she must get buy-in. Like maybe it's maybe it's not a total class. Maybe it's one kid at a time. Maybe right. I don't know. You know what I mean? I just want to hear what what but would me, be the like. How do you handle finish. that? Let me let me real quick finish here. So yeah, yeah. So then so we had these all these far-fetched ideas of the kids that they came up with that they wanted to make, and then you had to go into the whole thing of what's appropriate for school, what's not appropriate for school, and things like that. So we finally settled on candy dispensers, and we were going to make candy dispensers. So is we this, started is, is making the them. Jeep? Yeah, that was the Jeep. Those were the Jeeps. Gotcha. Um, so we, we ended up settling also on doing candy dispensers. And the candy dispensers, they never finished again because of the quarantine. But the whole idea was trying to teach the kids the manufacturing process. And we never got to that final step because we got shut down. Yeah, I mean, failure is part of it. Uh, you know, so that's, that's real, you know, like it, sometimes you can't even finish and sometimes motivation dies. Like I'm working on a real product right now and my motivation is getting tested big time and, uh, and funding, you know, I have to worry about how much I'm actually spending on it. So what, do you, so, and also, so let me, let me, let me welcome in, um, Barbara checks here and he's ran a store like this with Elise, her, her program before. Uh, so, uh, Barbara check, we were just going over, um, uh, Tim had done this Jeep and also the, uh, candy, but it's not easy. I, I, I would never suggest that. So I was just curious, Elise, how do you handle buy-in? 
Yeah, it's a good question. And I think it's a challenge. Um, and it can like what I should say, first and foremost, is that I don't handle buy in, right? Like so much of what is happening in a classroom is because of what the teacher like is kind of creating the conditions for. So we try to resource teachers and support them. But at the end of the day, we understand that like as the, you know, like one of like the most influential person in the room, whether it should be that way or not, they often are. Uh, and so they handle it differently. I think um, we have a, there's a particular toolkit kind of speaking to your feasibility questions or kind of points, Tim, right? Like there has to be, you can't just make whatever you want. And I think that is a core of business, right? That's the difference between art and design. Art is for you and design is for other people. There has to be a purpose and the design is supposed to accomplish that purpose, right? And so if we're trying to create something that sells, I remember a few years ago, we had a fifth grade class that wanted to create like double screened laptops that could be used in classrooms and teachers would be able to see what their students were working on and they were like so stoked about it and they wrote like a blog about it and we were like that is such a great imaginary idea that is just never going to happen because schools can't pay nine million dollars for double-sided laptops that fifth graders have designed you know like but walking through those things is actually part of the entrepreneurial process how many people do we all know who have a great business idea and they're the only one who thinks it's great right like i think part of getting through that entrepreneurial process is getting those ideas out there and then hearing those crickets right no one else is that interested in this okay what else do we need to do like how do we evolve our ideas um and i think that can be really disheartening to your point uh about motivation i think that's a very real thing as a creator myself like the amount of half done projects around my house like i'm glad i just moved and there's more stores so now i can like tuck them away and that makes me feel better i don't have to feel guilty about them right like students are having some of these same challenges in the middle of a pandemic and i don't know how much we can do about that beyond like the authentic checking in around like is this meeting our goals have our goals shifted and changed um and and if not do we need to approach like this differently you know um well the other thing that i <clears throat> Initially, the whole initial idea of the Jeeps were they were going to be donated to somebody or some early learning center or something initially. That was going to be the initial thing. And then whatever, I would sell whatever I could and then donate the rest to whoever. And, you know, when I was working at my former district, um, there was a gentleman I used to work with. He was really into, like, he would really throw that other side or the other point of view to you and say, well, yeah, you're making these, these Jeeps, you know, did you think about, you know, the finish and how that would affect the kids or whoever you give it to. And then like one thing was I wanted to make stools at my other school. And he was like, well, what happens if a kid falls off the stool and you donate it to a library? You know, so he was always throwing that, that extra side or that other side of things. You know, I'm just looking at this as a, Hey, we're going to make schools and stools and we're going to donate them to the library, you know, but yeah. he would always throw that other side. Like, mm. crap, I didn't think about that. <clears throat> I always just think of those as like design considerations and whether or not the person who is throwing that monkey wrench in is um, doing it to be collaborative or not. Like, it's just a design consideration. Like, that's a great thing to think about. Someone could fall off of this. Let's think about safety. Maybe we should also put in a terms and liabilities contract that says once it's yours, it's yours, right? These are things that students can be thinking about and they don't have to be like hard stops. Like, okay, I guess we can't do that because, you know? Um, yeah, I right. agree. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you're right. They are the constraints, but you know, and I, I think to be a really good facilitator, you know, is you have to approach all of those things 
Like you have to have everything covered and you have to talk all those sides of the coin, like the success side, the failure side, the liability side, the, you know, advantage side, if you will, for lack of a better word. And, yeah. and, and I think to be a good teacher, you have to have all that in your pocket. Yeah. This, I mean, this is, go ahead. Yeah. Well, and I wonder how much you have to have in your pocket and how much you have to be willing to entertain as it comes. I think one of the constraints that sometimes I see with the educators that we work with is this feeling that they have to have this entrepreneurship piece figured out before their students do. But like that is so uh, incongruent with the actual entrepreneurial process that right if we're actually leaning into like authentic work that is going that has risk. Like we can't totally anticipate all the things that are going to come up. And so I think there's probably a hybrid between thinking some of these things through and be willing to create the space for these conversations, but also being willing to learn alongside of our students and say, I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm willing to like learn and journey with you as we do this together. Yeah. And I, the other thing is, I think they're safe and unsafe projects. And, and I think being a teacher, you need to be able to, for, I think for your first couple go arounds, you have to go the safe route. For sure. You know, like you have to, if you're doing like, I, I kind of, when I was doing those Jeeps, like I kind of went the safe route, you know, sell what we could donate the rest. And then that way we weren't getting stuck with waste. Um, we weren't getting stuck with unusable product and things like that. But, you know, the whole coronavirus put the wrench in that and we got stuck with them. Some, some of them aren't finished. Some of them need to be tweaked. Some of them need to be, you know, re-glued. So there was just, there was no final inspection. There was no final quality control that went because we were just flat out shut down. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, to touch I know on your, go ahead. To touch on your buy-in point, and, um, those few times that I was able to successfully do, you know, a student-run project, we always as a class, you know, went through, like you said, all these iterations or project ideas, and then to buy into the project, you create a set of stocks for the kids to buy into the project or uh, materials to support your few first orders. And then once the money starts coming in, you know, your, your profit margin will then go up. You know, th that's their buy-in. They're, they're buying stock in your quote unquote company as the class would create. And then in the end, you know, if the, and the way we always worked it was that if kids put in extra hours, you write that all down and then that becomes their quote unquote pay at the end. If the dividends go up, you know, if the product is a success, then they're, if they invested 20, they can go home with like 40 or $75, you know, because the, the profit margin was that good. But if they goes a pet project and you didn't sell a lot, then they go home with less than they invested. You know, that's that that was the buy-in for a couple projects I was able to do. Hey Here Nick, that's a really good idea. Like so everybody gets a certain amount of like stock. It's yeah, you had like, to buy at least twenty dollars of stock at a dollar a share. And then if you oh. wanted to buy more, you could invest more into the company if you felt it was a good, you know. And a few projects, you know, that one project that I did in high school were CD and uh, cassette tape holders that spun around on a Lazy Susan. And then in college, it was, uh, what do you call it, Adirondack chairs. The Adirondack chairs, we were doing pine or cedar. The pine were costing us like 20 bucks to make. We were selling for 85 or 65 or something like that. Huge profit margin. So, you know, 
that, that's the thing. That's where the buy-in for the students becomes. So they're actually yeah. buying in instead yeah, of buying. instead of quote unquote yeah. buy-in. They're actually yeah. buying in, which when Buy the so materials. When somebody puts skin in the game, it's a whole different story. Yeah. Yeah, that's We um, I you know I think that probably gets tricky for some teachers with the handling of like cash in, cash out, which is to be totally you know frank, that's where we kind of created the EdCorps platform because as we talked to teachers who were like, yes, we want to do this, or we tried to do this. Like it always came down to like, I don't know how to handle the money and I don't want to lose my job. Uh, like there was really no mechanism for like, what does a student run business look like? And so that's why we created an e-commerce platform. But one of the ways that we've seen this kind of thing work out, we had a class a few years ago and they made, they're making t-shirts and they made teachers for uh, a March here in San Diego. And the teacher came to me and she was like, these kids are coming in 10 hours on Saturday, like every day after school, like, can we, can we pay them? Right. Like, can we, can, for their actual labor, they're foregoing their after school jobs for this. Uh, and the answer was no, but what they ended up doing was they set some sales goals. I think it was, you know, $2,000 or something like that. There was a team of like eight or nine students. And if they reached those sales goals, they went on Amazon, they filled up wish lists. They were all seniors. Uh, they filled up wish lists and, because of how our kind of back end mechanism worked, the teacher could go in and fill their Amazon wish list. So if you're going to college and you put in for that like new laptop, when all of those students reached those sales goals, they were able to kind of cash out in the things that they had chosen for themselves. So it wasn't just a pizza party or a field trip. It was like, what do I need? And if I want like new Jordans or I need new shoes, right? Like that's that's a choice that I can make. And I think one of the things from an equity perspective that was awesome about that was that like a student could choose and determine like what was best suited for their needs, whether it was something fun and frivolous or something that actually, you know, was going to help them in whatever their transition was to, you know, college or vocational school. Uh, and so I think there are some really interesting, like kind of creative hacks that we can use to say like, like what do you, are you getting out of this beyond just learning? Uh, we can acknowledge the fact that other things incentivize students. And I think there are parts across the entire process where we can give them more choice and opportunity for like personal fulfillment. Um, that can see more of that vibe. So, okay, so I, I wanna kinda pause at this point and then I wanna get to the platform because we're basically, there's two topics going on right now that I think are important. One is the psychological buy-in and then there's the actual buy-in where there's actually money and there's a platform. So I wanna hit pause before we go to the platform and maybe give Barbacek a chance if he wants to, um, could you, Barbara Check, could you give us some insight? Let's pause and talk about the psychological buy-in just for a moment. And then I wanted to go into, I want to see the platform, you know? What do you think? I think we can do yeah, it, man. Uh, it, by, by weird, right? Like as a teacher, you get varying degrees of buy-in from the same student just based off the time of year. So taking a step like this can be scary because it's more public, right? Like you put your stuff out there more and then, and then you're also asking for money for it as well. And so there's a little bit of a, like a intimidation factor there in some regard. And it's, uh, but it's fun. Like it's, it's what matters at the end of the day. And, uh, you end up kind of planting these memories in these kids' heads 
Uh, they don't care so much like at the end of the year whether it was a successful venture or not they just like remember it easier than page 47 of their math textbook or whatever it is it's just like they're part of a story so uh i don't know i would consider like my past two years pretty floppy like um even from a buy-in perspective but it I wouldn't put too much stake in it, you know, because it could be rough buy-in one year. It could be a lot of buy-in this year. Like, in a way, like, I had a lot of buy-in um, during almost more buy-in remote learning for for the business we ran than I do than I did in person. But when it came to my actual content, I got no buy-in, you know, like, like and I don't, I shouldn't say actual content because it was, it is actual content. It's more actual content than actual content. Uh so, yeah, I don't know. I guess just from a psychological buy-in perspective, I wouldn't put so much stake in it that you that you kind of pull the rug out from under any students. Like, just just offer the opportunity. Have fun with it. Kids love to see you vulnerable. Kids, like, if you're just lighthearted about not knowing how to, exactly how to do something, they love to, like, have that opportunity to possibly fill a void, especially if they got a good relationship with you. Um, and you'll just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I I stress the buy-in, I guess, myself, but it's it's a it's like a long process, you know, it's, and it's going to be very volatile. It, let me show. This is a video of me unwrapping. I bought one of the one of the products that Barbercheck's class made, <laughs> and I have the unboxing here. Uh, and it was one of those clipboard holder things, you know on the construction site and they put like a leather strap with a magnet on it and they, they, you know, did a lot of stuff to make it kind of, you know, uh, uh, like a, like an actual product, you know, they painted it and it was different dividers inside and it really did arrive with and arrived with a note saying, Hey, we made this for you and thank you for supporting our program. So, I mean, it was kind of cool. Like I, I'm in New Jersey and he's in, uh, Northern Michigan and his kids made something and I was able to buy it on a website. So, you know, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. I like that. Uh, now was this, was this made on demand or did, or did, uh, or was it in stock? I struggle with that as well. And I still have projects like left over from here. And I, I, I don't know if I really had like a highly successful product run where, I didn't have like to take apart projects like we, we're taking apart projects right now that are just left over from last year but there's something cathartic about that as well for the for me and the students where it's like we we gave this a solid effort and um there was some reserve like obviously you don't want a kid to take apart their work but you just model like okay this is this is what we do sometimes and we'll just and that's when you show them that the stakes don't have to be high, that the pressure doesn't have to be intense, they usually are, that's like a welcome arena for them because they, they don't, I think they're too high stakes and too high pressured in most of their other sports, academia and everything else. So while you, you're afraid to like expose them to that much failure because they might be super sensitive to it, it's also like they're accepting of it because they're super sensitive to it. Like, oh, you know, this like 
I could never dream of like having a sloppy game or dream of like getting a bad grade. But this is like, this is a flop. I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It makes so much sense to me. I think hey, Matt. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I'll make mine quick at least, and you can go. Uh, so I build a house with the kids, right? So barber check, like, and these guys know that, but like that's one of those things where like try, <laughs> try telling the kids that not a big deal to mess up with. You're building a two hundred thousand dollar house, <laughs> right? <laughs> that yeah. we're gonna sell. You know, it, but but I have to like I have to say, hey, I have to tell examples like, hey, this is why I messed up for my boss one time, and it literally legitimately cost money. This nobody's pressuring us to be done at a certain time. I mean, they want it done so we can get blah blah blah. blah. But there's no, it, it's not like a normal house building scenario when you're working with somebody where there's money on the line, there's right. people trying to move in, blah, 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 this and that. And so I have to like tell the kids because they get so worked up about, you know, they're, they're, you know, and I mean, obviously I am reminding them that they are carrying an $800 window to be installed. Right. But it's almost <laughs> right. Like, it's like, guys, I'm not going to put you in a spot where you are going to destroy a $200,000 house. That's you it. are going to maybe destroy an $800 window, which sucks really bad. But if it's an honest accident, you know what? I had one kid knock two guns off in a half an hour off the roof. Each $300 guns that we opened up that day. We busted them both. <laughs> and we were able to repair one and the other one I'm still trying to find the parts, but they work. So <clears throat> it's like I always have to, you know, it, me, me having to bring them off a ledge is constant and remind them that. I'm not going to get let put them in a spot that they are going to mess us up beyond recognition. Okay, you know, that, we're not going to foobar, right? That that so, is it right yeah. there. Like I, I totally get what you're saying, Matt. On yours. Yeah, because it is a it is a it's a balancing act, right? You like you want to push quality, you want to push care and precision and accuracy, but at the same time, and what I found is I I you can almost afford to toss it most of it out the window because they're getting so much of that from so many other sources. That uh, ninety percent of the time, if I just maintain a good relationship with the student, I, sh I let them know, you know, that hey, I'm I'm here for you. And what you said, I'm not going to put you in a position to fail, you know. And if I put you in a position to to fail in that way, I'm going to reflect on that as as a leader, not as not as a blamer, you know what I mean. And and as a leader, maybe I did, you know, overlook the fact that there was a trip hazard while you were carrying that. Yeah. And, and they love to see that. They love to see the accountability from a leader. And and then then they'll compete with you. Like you'll say, oh, I should have gotten that trip ha hazard out of your way. And then they'll tell you, no, 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 I should have. And and it's like, so, yeah, I, I think it's just a, a really good opportunity to build those relationships. And it, it, it's, 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 there is that internal struggle of like, Oh, I want him to meet these expectations and produce this quality and just be consistent. But it's like, you're not going to find a crew of adults that'll perform that well for you. So like give the kids some grace and understand like you're, you're there to learn as a leader, just, just, just along with them. And you're going to overlook some trip hazards, but what a great time for them to see someone in a leadership position own responsibility. Then they, then they mimic you. And that's, 
Well, and, right. and I've also learned, I've also learned it doesn't matter what the scenario is. Like the kid says to me, Hey, Mr. Z, I want to do epoxy. You know, I want to do an epoxy project. And, you know, instead of me being the epoxy wizard that I probably should be, you flat out say, I've never worked with that. Let's do it. And I think that's, you know, when they see that, yeah, you're, you are human and you are, um, you know, you don't know everything that that resonates with them. And like right now I have a kid. He said we're doing inlay picture frames and I've done a bunch of these in the past with other with other classes. I'm doing them again. But a kid said to me the other day, I want to do instead of doing a wooden inlay, I want to do the epoxy inlay. And I said, OK, let's let's try it. And I think that's a big that's a big thing. And, and I literally went to the table saw. I ripped two grooves and a piece of wood and I said, this is what concerns me about your idea. I said, let's do a small test piece. We'll do a small test run. We'll see what it looks like. And then we can make the decision. Do you still want to do this or do you not want to do this? And I think that's, I think that's valuable too. Sure. So, you know, I, um, I, anyway, yeah. So Elise, uh, well, basically I'll just give you my, my perspective. So we kind of went around the room. Uh, basically, I like failure as long as I'm not telling them they failed. Like if they're in a competition or someone doesn't buy something, they can I, – I would love – I love failure, like slapping me in the face and the kid in the face. That's fine as long as I'm not the one stopping them. That is a friction. It's just not worth it. So what I do is like, yeah, so like if a kid – let's say we do the flashlight project. The lightest flashlight that still functions and has a switch and survives a couple of tests wins. So a kid comes to me with a huge flashlight that weighs way too much and goes, look how strong it is. And I go, put it on the scale. And they put it on the scale and it's 100 grams. And they say, see, it's really big and strong. And I go, yeah, last year's winner was seven grams. So you got like 93 grams to get rid of. And they're like, oh. And then they go and iterate they go and do another version and you see the pro but if i said that if i said if i'm the one that stops them and says that's not good enough you got to do it like that that's a friction so failure is good as long as it's not friction based you know like that but that's a tough that's a tough one i let the scale talk for me i'm not going to tell a kid it's too big i go yeah that's great put it on the scale you know so and i like entrepreneurship because it's the same thing like you you go to sell something and the customer doesn't buy it I, I didn't do it. The customer doesn't want it, man. What'd you do wrong? You know, either design, execution, shipping, whatever, customer service, something went wrong. I think yeah. then it gives you an opportunity to be on their team. Uh, you know, so often, whether we are contributing to that dynamic or not, and we probably are as adults, but even just they're anticipating like sometimes that antagonism, right? And so like being explicit about like, I am so on your team. Like, yeah, you have an idea. Let's try it out. My, my concerns are like in purpose of you being successful. Let's go figure this out together. I think that can change that relationship so much. And I think, you know, I probably don't have a super articulate way of saying this, but the conversation around failure always feels so static to me as if it is like failure, stop, like we failed, a customer didn't buy it, like game over. And I really think what we're talking about is a healthier relationship with vulnerability. Like even before the feeling of like, oh man, I'm vulnerable, like it's okay to fail and feel vulnerable. Like 
vulnerability isn't just for like the failure experience. Like even success is vulnerable. Being at the top of that mountain means you can fall. Like people are like, there's vulnerability everywhere we look. And it's really about having a healthier relationship when we see whether it's negative feedback or customer sales that we, that like aren't affirming our ideas. It's like, what do we do in those moments? Uh, and I think sometimes even the idea of failure kind of, for me, it creates this like benchmark of like, oh, now this is a grading moment. When I think it's really mostly just cyclical. It's just this constant question of like, what are we learning? like how can we apply that what are we learning how can we apply that uh and for me that frame especially you know being in the business of like entrepreneurial learning but also starting this nonprofit and running it like we've constantly been like oh hell what are we learning how do we apply that you know it has been so many errors over and over again and so uh i don't i mean it's like i feel like it's a lot of failure but ultimately every single time we've been able to say like oh okay we see better now we see clearer now we can do you know we can serve our people better than we could yesterday. Um, and so I wonder what it looks like to continue to change that conversation for students in a way that doesn't feel as punctuated. Yeah, I agree. You know, like almost like what Zavaki was saying about, he's like, okay, let's fail together. And the technology or our skill set is the failure, but not, not, not Tim saying no. Tim saying no would be friction. Right. That's, that's a personal failure. He's like, the kid failed to win over Tim to let him do the thing. And Tim's like, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it together because I've never done this X, Y, Z thing. And so we got we to gotta handle it in that way. That's a great way to do it, Tim. I, I applaud that. It's risky, though. So risk together is a good idea. Oh, unmute yourself. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It only works with certain kids. Of course. You know, now, the kid that I like to do it with OK, is that kid that you're on the line with, you know, because any given day, if that kid you're on the line, like you don't know, like I like this kid, I've never had this kid before in my class that wants to do this epoxy inlay. Um, he was fully remote last year. He took woodworking too, fully remote last year. So his m machining skills are limited. So. I think I could lose him. If I just said, no, you're going woodworking and you're just going to do traditional inlay and this and that, I think I could lose him tomorrow. But by me saying, yes, let's try this. I think I got him now for the rest of the year, you know? And if you suck one in, you get usually two or three, you know, because the, the other ones want to follow. I call that lighting the fire. Yeah, and and a hundred percent, Tim. I applaud that. And and the thing is that, honestly, you know, people talk about grades and curriculum. This, that. it doesn't even matter what we're doing. It could be entrepreneurship. It could be grades. It could be whatever. Honestly, all we're trying, all I think I'm trying to do is light the kids' fire. If they if they get excited, you give them the the right amount of timber, the right size wood at the right time, and then they take it from there. That's and then they can they can start a business maybe or they can go into skilled trade or they could go on to college if they want to go deeper on something. But basically, you got to light the kids fire. Like you said, you got them. That's me. Ver that's my version. My version would be you lit the fire. That's it. The kids. It's off and running now. Yeah. yeah and, and certain things that, and, and certain projects and certain ideas and certain students, it, it falls in different parts of the school year. Totally. You know? Cause it's uh it's organic, you know? Yeah. And that's the, the irony is that they have these grade numbers like ninth grade, 10th grade, you know, it, how can you really put a number on an organic thing? I mean, there's a bracket in there, but not really, you know? 
I mean, I also think they're just humans are wild universes of like experiences and we just wake up with like all new cells in our brain every day and kind of to, you know, Matthew's point earlier, like around engagement, like I'm a parent, I'm a guardian, I have a, a middle schooler and a high schooler. And I just from my up close experience with these two, like there's an X factor. Right. Because like what worked yesterday, they may hate today. Yesterday they loved cucumbers. Well, today they hate cucumbers. And like some of those things I'm going to have no control over. Right. And so understanding that it, it, we cannot control every little piece of like, it is, you know, they're not formulaic. Even as educators, you can be doing everything kind of quote unquote right to light this fire. And also they may wake up with like a cocktail of experiences and hormones in their body that mean that they are completely resistant to anything the world is giving them in that day or week or month. And that doesn't mean we give up on them. But I think there is something about just understanding that like human beings, especially ones with developing minds are uh, they're just wild experiences all on their own. And, and we can't totally predict like how those outcomes are going to relate to, even to our in inputs. And that, and that plays along the, the means of like, you know, I have a kid that's a quote unquote, a troublemaker in math class, but I have nothing, I have nothing but positive things to say about that kid, you know, and we all are in that situation where we all have that one or that one or two or, or 20 kids that are perfect for us. But as soon as they sit down in English, there's absolute terrors, you know, and that's part of our and that and that and that's what we do. We bring the good out of, of some of those kids, too. And then there's also that kid that, you know, is a problem in my class and isn't a problem in every other class. And you, there's no matter what you do, you, you can't break that mold. And sometimes that happens, too. Yeah, totally. So let, let's let's move to the next piece to the puzzle, which I'm curious about is the practical functionality of the platform. So of course, you know, for a teacher to come up with uh, like an e-commerce site or a way to handle money, it's like another job. I'm sure a shop teacher could figure it out. I'm sure any teacher could figure it out. But if you guys have a platform, I would love to see or know how that functions. Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're right. Anyone could figure it out. It is not rocket science. Uh, you know, every city website will tell you how to start a small business. I think um, the one reality is it is work. And there are little, you know, kind of bits and pieces that uh, entrepreneurs and small business owners have to handle that while are really important to learn if you were actually going to start a business, like, you know, filing your business license, things like that. When we're talking about building the entrepreneurial mindset, we know that we're mostly talking about this practice, right? More, less than like profit and loss forms and their particularities around these things. And so what we have done is created the e-commerce site and I will do a screen share. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be better. Yeah, I'm going to stop sharing. Go ahead. Okay. We have created an e-commerce site so that you don't have to, uh, would like to record this computer screen. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's because you're adding another... Let's see if it yes, works. Moment, please. Um, so our dashboard allows classrooms to run that business, have full ownership over their monies, their uh, their products, worth what they're going to do with their funding, etc. While we host the actual accounting, like that's the magic in the back. So um, quit and reopen. No, okay, it's gonna make me quit this. Well, I can do that because if you have, you have a link, I could share it. Or if you want to share it, um, I just go to that little button on the bottom. Like here, I'll show you what it looks like. 
Well, it's okay. I think it's okay because um, you, see you see this here. Now it's going to be like a double screen. Basically, uh, uh, this button right here, this says you're presenting. It's like an up arrow in a box. That'll give you a screen share. Yes, yes. I had gotten that far. My oh, challenge. Okay, sorry. <laughs> my challenge was that uh, my most recent update wasn't allowing screen sharing, but I think I was just able to fix it. And because I have two screens, I could leave without actually leaving. So let's see if it'll work now. Well, while you're figuring it out, I mean, basically like I, I, I would like to try this. I mean, I'm, I'm very curious because I've got um, uh, some products that I think we're going to work on. It would be really cool to have a hosty site that's in the same nature rather than me having to deal with all the money and all the, all the, you know, e I'm doing an e-commerce site for my personal business and it's, uh, I mean, it's doable, but it's a pain, you know, and <laughs> as a teacher, that's not really where you, the, the, the skills are, you know, and it's kind of like, eh, if I could, if I could get a, if I could have a platform help me, that would be great. Right. I mean, I think the number one resource that teachers report not having is time. And that was something we always keep in mind. We kept in mind when we built our dashboards. How do we make this more time efficient? Like how, like shorter sentences, everything like how do we make things just more accessible and cleaner, easier places so that we can make this as student-facing as possible so that teachers don't have to be the facilitator of every piece of the process um, and easy for, for teachers when they are facilitating. And so this is our dashboard. Um, and from here, this is kind of the homepage where we have a link out to a bunch of different resources and kind of program pieces. Uh, our classes can run e-commerce websites, which if we go here, you can kind of see there's a, a simple design builder. And actually, there's some updates that will launch in just a few weeks. Um, but they can go in and create a pretty simple site. They can choose, you know, which template they want, what their header images are going to be, you know, what they're about us. Uh, is going to say what their URL is going to be. You know, students can choose some of the basics around their branding, um, and they can upload their products. So this is my my uh, my dummy page. So in my pretend world, I have a sewing shop, um, and so you know you can see my custom sewing box. You can see the supply grab bag, right? And students can set up shipping. They can set up delivery fees. Uh, they can set up varieties, right? If we're selling bird boxes of different wood types and sizes, if we go in, we can select different pieces that they can uh, adjust in terms of dimensions. And so we tried to make this as user-friendly and as adapted to the student experience as possible. Uh, we had a website or a dashboard before this uh, that we built many moons ago and used for probably three years too long. And, but over that time, we got a much better idea of what this was actually looking like in the classroom. You know, we, when we originally built our first website or our first dashboard, delivery wasn't really an option or a pickup, you know, wasn't a thing that we had anticipated because we thought about student safety issues. When in reality, schools had mechanisms in classrooms where this was actually really helpful for them to have, you know, a Saturday pickup uh, for all of their furniture orders. Right. And so those were all things that got rebuilt into the dashboard. And wow, so this is, this is so cool. Like, I'm excited to try this. Barbara check. Is this the version that you use or is this something new? Uh, I think I got to use both. Um, and I've used this version for sure. Okay. And the other one was kind of rough. Yeah. Yes. I remember that. And it, this, but it, you're offering a service where like you can forgive bugs. Um, because like, I'm just, a, all right, let, this is, I think everyone in this room would agree that this is like a cool opportunity to offer students. You can do entrepreneurship and you can, you know, bite off as much as you're comfortable with. And you can 
access like toolkits, she'll probably show you where like they can kind of almost self teach themselves to a degree. And, and then you, then you, you have e-commerce taken care of. So they have like, you do get a, you gotta get your administrator at least to sign something. But after that, it's not a conversation. Like the, the website's up and running. These folks handle, they give you, you know, the, the debit card or whatever, so you can transact and, and you're closed off to like the district office in a way. I mean, not like ignorantly so, but like, it just, it simplifies the whole process. They're basically filling voids that our school building should already be doing for us. And it's going it, to, when she said like, we know teachers most valuable resources time, they obviously like pursued that with that constraint in mind, because it's like, just imagine how many conversations you'd have to have to tell your boss, even that you're going to, you're going to start a class website. Yeah, it's it's difficult to even get a field trip going. Yes, right. Yeah. Like, it's amazing to me, Elise, what you guys have done when you compare it to the bureaucracy of a school system. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And um, not every and not every classroom. This is not a fit for every classroom, but at least it would be an option. I mean, yes. I, don't we live in in a, in a in a place? It's not just America, but most countries have capitalism. So not everybody is going to be an employee. They might be an employer. So it's probably a good idea to have at least one class where you create a business. So the funny thing is you mentioned about a field trip, getting a field trip going. Like I can't even go out the back door in my classroom to outside without going through hoops, without having to go get a radio, at least having to go out the front door and having to tell somebody I was going outside. Like I literally can't just walk outside. I have to tell all these people and have the way that they can get back, get in touch with me. Wait, but at least do you have some software solution for that? <laughs> so, I mean, you joke about a field trip. It's like, I can't even walk out my back door. It's like an exit. Yeah. You have an exit. Without, without having, um, you know, all the, all the approved, you know, documents, the passport, if you will. I know it's crazy. I mean, that's the reason you basically hit it. Like this is the reason for the shop class podcast. That's the reason. Is because we know that we're more capable than listen, the district provides the base platform. They got the building covered, they got the kids coming in. Everything else is really like creativity and networking, and that's what we're doing here. So well, well the other thing was like yesterday we we emptied the dust collector from, you know, and I posted pictures of that. Yeah, we on, saw, yeah. And uh, you know, it was one of those things like we were outside behind my door. Now I didn't get any approvals to go outside. I literally just went outside and started emptying the dust collector. But you know, it was like you made sure you had a kid in the classroom because if the phone rang, you needed somebody to yell "phone," you know, like really loud because we were outside. Yeah. And uh, but you know, even even things like that, like maintenance stuff, is still part of you know that real life experience. It's just you know, like the e-commerce it's a little of everything because you have the maintenance you have the selling the products you have the upkeep upkeep and things like that too so it is uh you know this this all goes hand in hand we're tim we're right there with you so i see here at least you got amazing stuff here it says community calendar you've got to connect with a mentor you got teacher directory you get to meet other teachers are you going to give us a little tour this looks awesome sure, yeah yeah 
So we do kind of provide like things you're pointing out, just support for our community as best as we can, uh, especially as, as they've kind of asked, right? So we have an awesome community of educators. We plan virtual happy hours and meetups and kind of like workshops. We've done virtual conferences. And so if anyone wants to get involved in the community, they events, they can click there. Uh, we also have kind of very casually, but it's been awesome, kind of cast a net to our community along the way. We've had folks who've just been like, please, you know, if you have a class who wants to talk to someone in marketing and, you know, we work with hundreds of classrooms, so that's not typically like something that we could do in the quickness, but we started writing those names down. And so now classes can look at our, you know, it's, it's a live ex, uh, Excel sheet. I think that we just update from a, a forum folks that are super informal, but classes have been using it. We actually started it this last year during the pandemic because we knew that classes were having a tough time making those authentic connections. And so. Wait, Alicia, oh my God, this is so much information. Hold on. Wait. Oh gosh. Well, talk too fast when I get excited. Wait, wait. Wait, this is awesome. I just want to hit pause for just a second. So in other words, let's say I or the students need a mentor. You guys have a list of people we can talk to? It's true. It's true. And awesome. Awesome. Uh, they, I like that. I said, I will not. I will not say that we are in the mentorship game. There are organizations who are doing incredible jobs, like Nepris, and uh, there, there are other folks, community sharing different communities that are um, connecting, like local mentors, and doing a great job of that. What we've really done is just you know, along the way, as folks have said that they want to be helpful, we put their names down and, and they're people from Fiji Water and from Harvard Business School. And they're just random folks along the way who are down to talk to students about their projects. And I think one of the things that's been cool about um, the experience is that very rarely is it like a guest speaker model. Like that does happen, but more so it's them a, a share, appearing back and forth. This is what we're working on. What do you think? And they say, here's some feedback. This is how we do it in my neck of the woods. You know, if I work for a marketing company, I may share with you some of my best practices, but students have the opportunity then to really, especially because it's built into all the toolkits to ship their work out to someone. They can go to this mentor list and find someone who might be relevant, who could give them helpful feedback and email them. Um, this is, this is, I don't mean to, I'm only interrupting you so that my brain can understand. This is really good stuff. This is excellent. So, so you can meet with these people and, you know, maybe there's a special time for that or you just make an appointment. Um, we just, we put their emails there. So we kind of leave it up to folks to connect separately so that we're not bottlenecking middle, middle person it. Uh, but there's, uh, yeah, folks can, they're available and we're always adding to that list. Um, I think there's a whole new cohort of, of mentors that are going to be added in the next couple of weeks. So I'm excited to see what classes do with them this year. All right. And let's look at the practical stuff. So it says here, money orders and checks, like, uh, you get yeah. someone pays you in cash. What do you do? Yeah. Okay. So classes can take money in three ways, right? They can do e-commerce, um, in which case they can be shipping anywhere, or they can be just charging online and then doing handoffs in person. They can be taking cash and checks, which, you know, this can be an at-school event. This can be an out-of-school event. We see a lot of farmers markets and festivals and conferences. Students will sometimes go exhibit at conferences. And so uh, they can accept money. They can technically accept cash and transition it to money orders. Um, we used to give out our account information and teachers could deposit the money directly. And lawyers were, were a little concerned, you know, they were like, maybe we should find a, a little less sketchy way to do that. Uh, so now they convert it to money orders and they ship those over to us and we deposit those. And then the third way that they can take payment is through credit cards. So we actually have an, an app uh, that is available, I think on Android and iPhone. 
but now I'm now I'm questioning it as I say it out loud. Uh, but it's an app that's pretty simple and it allows students to kind of use a Stripe reader to take payment in person. It gets credited directly to the dashboard with all the customer information so that when students, you know, after that Saturday farmer's market, they can go to their orders and all of their orders, whether they were e-commerce or that point of sale, you know, Stripe reader, or it was a money order that was deposited, all of them will come up here. I, this is amazing. That's awesome. It makes it so easy. Uh, okay. And then, um, so let me so, tell you a little bit about what oh, happened money. Yeah. So all of the money that the students make belongs to the class to do what they want with, right? So we see classes use it typically in three ways to reinvest in their business. To Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, this is very important. Do you take Bitcoin? We do not take Bitcoin. <laughs> You're not the first person to ask that though. You know, like, I'm, I'm totally, marketing I'm, before I can. Totally kidding. Bitcoin. You know, I'm Bitcoin. kidding, but actually it's a thing. I don't know. No, no one's going to pay you Bitcoin. That's crazy. Not, um, yet. not yet. It's coming. Okay, sorry. So now the money goes into an account, which is the in control of the classroom, and you can buy supplies or whatever. So go ahead from there. Sorry. We partner with a platform called Class Wallet, which is right over here. Uh, and if I were to click on that, you would see my admin account, and it wouldn't be as helpful. But individual teachers, when they open up their Class Wallet accounts, any funding that they have is available. Like any funding that was either seed funding or maybe that they've cashed out. And you know, you can think of that as an expense account, and they can use that money however they need to. Really, with the exception of alcohol and tobacco, they can request out a prepaid debit card and use it for in-person sales. They can use it online, and the platform tracks everything. So we've made that piece. Of it really easy for teachers to spend the money that they have access to and how they do that so like you said all of the money that the students make goes into this account and when they want to do something with it they let us know they add a cash out so let's say you know Matthew's class has made a thousand dollars and they want five hundred dollars back for supplies they're going to say we want five hundred dollars for supplies back to our class wallet and then they're going to create that cash out but they may want to also uh, make a donation, right? So they will actually instead want to make a donation to the Red Cross and they're going to fill out this information and we're going to send them either them a check or the Red Cross a check, depending on the things that they select here. But a lot of our classes will spend uh, or donate some portion of their profits to a nonprofit, a charity, causes they care about, etc. And truth be told, that can be a really interesting form of buy-in as well. Um, we've had classes do kind of a, almost like a microfinance model where students were able to break up, you know, however much they made, they had a certain portion of that that they could donate to a cause of their choice and you know some people have really meaningful you know my grandmother had this disease and i'd like to donate you know this on their her behalf or in her honor and so um this is a big part of what a lot of our classes will do as well is this kind of like philanthropic social entrepreneurial piece uh, but at the end of the day it's up to the students and we have some toolkits that walk them through you know there's an impact strategies toolkit that will launch in a couple of weeks but you know really having them think through what is the impact you want to make with your business and what do you, you know, what are your goals? How do you want to spend the money that you're making, you know, as a team? And so that all is found right in there. That's uh, excellent. That's very interesting. Um, it, yeah. If you could get into the, into the uh, black or the green, then you would have money left so you could buy better supplies, to do a bigger project, or you could kick back to the, uh, to a, to some sort of cause, a nonprofit cause, like you said. Um, uh, uh, devil's advocate, are you guys taking a piece of the action for each trimming for each? Uh, uh, you're not doing that, right? This is a nonprofit, and we're, we're a nonprofit. And truth be told, you know, our operating budget, we would just need so much more money. It would, you know, like we look yeah. too to take the five percent, but we honestly we don't want to. We want students to have complete 
total ownership. And that was a really important piece for us because, you know, early on, that was a question. Should that be a part of our business model that that's what helps keep the lights on? And especially when you're talking about money in schools, it had to be so explicit that we weren't here to make money, but that we were really here to support students that, you know, any percentage was going to be too much. So we don't take any, uh, any kind of skim off the top. What does take a skim off the top is credit card processing fees, and that's just built into the website. We can't really do anything about that. Um, but all the money that the students make really belongs to them. And to your point about when, you know, when they make it into the black or the green, whenever students uh, start the school year with money, it's seed funding that they don't have to pay back. So all of the profits that they begin to make from there, they can kind of begin to, unless, you know, sometimes classes will start... Uh, We'll have a different plan, right? Well, let's say we want to recount our costs and maybe there's a bit more of emphasis on the accounting there. And it is a bit of a choose your own adventure in that regard. But from our perspective, you know, they can start to feel that success really early on because they don't really have to pay that money back. And I think to someone's point earlier about having lower stakes to failure, you know, it's really easy to have some successes or have some failures when you're also having them alongside some successes and there's not the pressure to have to get it all right, right? to have to get that thousand dollars to pay back that debt or whatever it may be. Sure. Like, like on a practical thing, I'm sure, uh, you know, sometimes students will ask me to use aluminum on a project they clearly should use steel on, but they don't know the difference. So if they see that, well, okay, you can make this thing out of aluminum. Sure but it's going to eat up 90% of the budget. You could be a guy of steel and it's going to be stronger and, and maybe not as light, but it's going to work out. Why don't you try it in steel first? And then the, at least they'll see the cost involved and then they can maybe make a collective decision with maybe like five or other kids or whoever's in the business with them. Yeah. Let me see if I can actually pull up. So one of the, these link outs over here, we, you know, we see view my live site, which I, I went to earlier, but if you go to these EdCorp's toolkits, they'll take you right over here. And um, I think these are, yeah. So these are all different kind of toolkit activities. And the point that you're talking about is actually addressed. We try to get them to think, students to think kind of critically and creatively about these topics, right? When we're talking about choosing your product, you're not just asking yourself, what do I want to make? You're asking yourself questions like, what goes into making this? How much time goes into making these bowls? You know, what are the costs of pulling this off? And when it comes time to price this product, we're not just looking at our cost of labor and our cost of goods. We should then also kind of be taking a step back and asking, does this make sense? Should we be making edits to this, right? If I'm looking at how much it would cost to sell something made out of aluminum versus, you know, something versus, you know, made out of steel, these are the kind of creative questions we can start to think through. And each of these, let me see if I can find one that might be relevant. Budgeting for growth. That might be an interesting one. Ooh. So this is a platform that we use for our toolkits. We almost built something that looked like this. And then we found these lovely people who built it perfectly for us. All of our toolkits are built in G Suite. They're copyable so that, you know, if you want to make a copy for yourself or your students to kind of interact with, awesome. Wait, what is a toolkit? It's like teaching someone how to use a, a, a feature? So our toolkits are these, all these activities, right? And so when, there's about 25 toolkits that are all business activities. And when students go through the, these five steps and then they submit, like, uh, I think they submit an artifact. So they'll share a link any type of link. Here is the link to our TikTok. Here is a link to the photo from the project, right? We ask for any type of artifact link. When they've completed that toolkit and they submit it to us, 
they unlock additional funding, right? And so you can kind of see on my screen here, budgeting for growth is worth a $50 toolkit bonus. Um, building your e-commerce website is worth a $25 toolkit bonus. And when we unlock those, when we go back over here, they get a notification that says, hey, your toolkit was approved and you have that money available now. And when it comes time to cash out, all that I'm money so is Wait, stop right there. So hold on. I'm here. Not only, not only can you can you you put a little seed money in and then you build a product and maybe it sells, but if the kids do these toolkits successfully, your organization will reward them with money in their like real money in there. Does that come from our situation or you guys are donating that to us? That comes from the Real World Scholars bank account. It's true. And you know mind what's blown, <laughs> mind blown. This is you know what's wild about this though is that why are more people doing this? This is crazy. Right. Of course you should be doing this. Even in our own community, our toolkits are not like super widely used. Now I still think they're awesome and the teachers who do use them are stoked about them. But like there are so many teachers who are like, oh yeah, I just haven't had a chance to look at them yet. It's free there's money. Money, y'all, there's money attached. And then like, I don't know, I've been so busy looking for curriculum, I didn't get a chance to look at the toolkit. It's, it's like a micro scholarship, right? I think what's cool about it is, that, and this comes back to the buy-in question, you know, most of the time we're looking at, you know, we're not looking at one or two students. We're looking at 15, 20, 30 students at a time. And it's hard to create experiences that aren't going to engage them all. But if a student goes to the, the dashboard and they see all these things, and if I'm really stoked on design, or maybe I'm like a, like I nerd out on Excel, which guilty is charged, right? Like there are things in here for me and a lot, there's a team roles in here somewhere, but you know, once students choose that, whether it's team titles or roles, but essentially figure out what part of the business that they're going to kind of be occupying, they can start to self-manage these, right? We can say, awesome, I'm into design. I would like to check out the design your custom packaging toolkit and me and a few friends or me and my team can start to go through this on our own, right? We can learn a little bit. Let's see, do these buttons work? I think I, how do I do this? Wait, once they submit the art artifact, who judges it? <clears throat> Judge is a strong word. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'll be honest, you know, we had questions around rigor early on and the reality was we wanted to hear from our classrooms. We weren't here trying to make sure that they were having, like the purpose of these reflections wasn't to come back to the teacher and say, you need to do this differently. It was really to show us anything about like how they were thinking about the experience. And we've evolved that artifact over time. It used to be like an artifact and a question. But what we actually found was that it kept people from sharing. Like the more steps we put into it, we would see people get go through the toolkits and then not actually submit them because of the, the reflection piece. And so, it was really about like, we want to empower students to share with us however, whatever they want. It's really for our learning and for us to understand how this is looking and feeling in classrooms. And we do a lot of other surveying as well. And so if they submit it and it has, um, and it's filled out, <laughs> you know, and, and I, I say filled out because, um, let's see, if we go to the toolkit submission slide and I just jumped to the very end, you can see here are some examples of artifacts that you can submit. So we have a sample brainstorming board because every toolkit has a brainstorm in it, uh, a brainstorm step. And you can copy a brainstorming board that you and your team can use to think about the topic. You can submit that brainstorming board to us. That counts as an artifact, right? And so there are these little things that, you know, as you, the idea is that this artifact should be something that was likely created from 
the experience. It's not something that you have to go make after the fact to share it. It was something that came up organically, whether you, you know, it was a tool in the process or it was, you know, some sort of recording of the process. Uh, these are all the things that you know, they can kind of share back with us. But even but, like in, in theory, if you did all these toolkits, you'd probably be more ready to create your product and service and, and site, right? I will say, well, the thing about the toolkits is that they're experiential. So if you've done all the toolkits, you're not ready to create your product and site. You did create your products and site. Each one of these toolkits. And now you got the money to do it. And now you have more money, right. So the point of each of these wasn't to go learn about custom packaging. It was to go walk students through designing their custom packaging, right? So each toolkit starts with a, a virtual studio that is like uh, media rich, has link outs to third party resources, videos, you know, infographics that they can learn more about as well as a video that has been put together by our team just to give them a brief intro and then they can walk through the five steps right where they learn a little bit about custom packaging and why it's important right with additional link outs and they can brainstorm that as a team right and as they go through each of these steps they create their packaging they connect it with the world and get feedback they make that revision and then they wrap it up and share it back with us and when they do these things you know at the end of this they shouldn't have thought about custom packaging, they should have created custom packaging and gotten some feedback and, and be more equipped to move forward, right? This is this is one of the ways that we kind of fortified the entrepreneurial process in each classroom and made sure that, you know, because we did have classes that were like, at the end of it, like, we did great, we came up with an idea and, and like shared it with our parents. And we knew that students could do so much more if teachers had a bit more support in walking them through that process. And so this was our answer for that. And I think they've been pretty well received. Okay. Um, can you, can you kind of share with us your most successful uh, an example of like your like teachers or schools that have like done really well with this? No, that is an that's like asking someone to choose our favorite child, like on online on a recording. Like just pick your favorite. And there's been 550 plus classrooms, and I've cried in public so many times. Like I mean, there's just I I think there's been an just an incredible amount of like. I, I'm sorry. I've spent maybe too much time looking at the stock market. I just want to see numbers. I want to be. I want to see what works. Okay, you want to see numbers? Um, I think we've had a couple of classes that are well into the thirty and forty thousands. Uh, Get yeah, out of here. Our first successful class, like of that nature, like like ballin. What are uh, they selling? Can we see their site? Well, they they. They don't, this is not an operational class anymore. This teacher moved on and they kind of did a rebrand. They do still have a site. I might be able to find it. Um, it's a first grade class, first grade, right outside of Atlanta in Rome, Georgia. First graders making 30 Gs in product. Oh, these kids killed it, man. They made sugar scrubs. What's that? I don't know what a sugar scrub is. I would be very yeah, this is what I thought. So many blank stares. This is great. A sugar, sugar scrub. Mm -hmm. So it's. Am, like I, oh wait, am I saying this right? Sugar oh, scrub. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, they're exfoliants. If there are people in your life who like soft skin, they may be, they may know what these things are, right? So these kids are mixing sugar and coconut oil, and typically essential. Wait a minute. I think I found. Is there a video about this? Oh my God! Sugar Kids Beauty documentary. Yes, I, I, that's what it's called on Google. I, the Sugar Kids Beauty documentary. It's so good. Here, am I still screen sharing? No. Uh, I got it. I got it. It's oh, it's this so one. good. Oh, that's probably not it. Don't do that one. That's not no. it. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay. like, oh, don't ruin it. These, okay. like, I mean, okay. high scores are awesome, but they're never going to be as cute as like the six-year-old. They're a different brand. 
Um, but it's not on our. It's okay. not on our I'll, let you, I'll let you handle it. Sorry. I, I got you. I got you. All right. What's rad about these kids, sure kids beauty document, um, is how complex the project got. And by complex, I mean like the layers of learning that happen. So there, you know, you see pictures of them graphing their Facebook likes, right? And these are seven year olds. And they're, they ended up shipping to all 50 states. They learned about every state that they shipped to. They shipped to 12 countries. Uh, they, every time, you know, as they grew their business, they reinvested. So this teacher, um, but they ended up distilling, like having an herb garden and distilling their own essential oils. And so these like seven-year-olds are doing chemistry, right? And they're using these essential oils in their sugar scrubs. They're designing their own product packaging. They brought people from the community. They did like 27 community collaborations. So they had audio engineers come in and they recorded a little jingle that they wrote based on like a Maroon 5 song. They wrote all their own social media. So, you know, they're doing tons of writing practice, tons of science, tons of math. They're measuring, you know, there's a junior mixologist title and a senior mixologist title. And you had to know your fractions to be able to be a senior mixologist, right? Um, and these kids, they did so much rad philanthropic work. They supported their local community kitchen with like six months worth of food. They went down to uh, the children's hospital and made like individual kits for all these you know, young people with cancer. Um, yeah, these are sugar scrubs. Um, I had no idea this existed. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And they actually ended up getting invited to the Georgia State House of Representatives for their accomplishments in STEM. Uh, and these are, you know, first graders. And this school is like Title I, like 80, 90 plus percent free and reduced lunch. I can't remember this off the top of my head. But, you know, a lot of, I, I remember specifically that there were students had, who had eaten in that kitchen, that food kitchen, who then got to then go stock that food kitchen. And that ability to be like the author of that story was incredibly powerful. Um, wow, and, this is awesome. Those kids killed me, man. They really yeah. killed me. Um, and so, and so, so tomorrow if I go into school and tell my kids in my class I want to make sugar scrubs, you, <laughs> they're going to be like, wait, 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 this is woodshop, Z. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't think that the Jeep is doing is doing it, man. You no, got to reevaluate. <laughs> All right, I just dropped this beauty uh, video in your chat. I got it. I got it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's been some really interesting um, woodshop projects. We have seen, you know, like the really fancy dog houses, and we had a really cool um, bat box project outside of Chattanooga where a class partnered with the Chattanooga or the Tennessee State Park Rangers, and they kind of talked about the local bat population and how they were waking up from hibernation too early. And as a result, they built these bat boxes in collaboration and got the community to put them up everywhere, right? And so I think having some sort of like tie-in to a why was helpful for them. Wow, this is cool. cool. My That's first year would flip over this, like to make these things, like she likes putting face scrubs on and all this, like, she would if in this class this would have been right in her alley if she knew if she knows that you can make this stuff at home oh man it's better than making that slime stuff <coughs> yeah that got wow bad. yeah i mean i think there was a great um there was like a reporter they had like lots of local press done on them when when this was all happening and uh one kid got asked, you know, like, so what's it like to make the product? And she was like, um, I'm in marketing. I'm the head of marketing. You're going to need to ask product development. And he was like, I'm, that's going in the story. I think 
I think that's the, the only answer I needed was the fact that you were so stoked and clear on like what you were bringing to the table that like you weren't well, they're, putting, they're putting labels on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They designed those labels with a heat gun. Uh huh. That's all their packaging. They killed it. I, wow, I'm too. I know that they did so much rad stuff. And so this, how many, this, how many years did they do this? So this classroom, so this school still runs, they now call it the Elm Street Marketplace, um, but the teacher moved on and so they ended up rebranding. She ended up getting quite a bit of kind of fanfare for this project and so it kind of felt like a rebrand was needed there. So Sugar Kids Beauty maybe existed for like four years before it got rebranded into Elm Street Marketplace. I think that's what it's called now. Um, but I think one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, this ended up being a pretty high performing and it wasn't just the class, you know, this ended up engaging the entire first grade and, and other classes found ways to collaborate, which we see a lot. Um, and so it was really kind of becoming a drop for the school. Uh, people wanted their kid in this class. They wanted them to have these types of experiences. Obviously, like you want your kid on the news. Um, I just love them in their goggles. Yeah. Um, but there's been so many interesting and diverse projects. You know, we had a sixth grade class in Chattanooga. They had a 3D printer or sorry, they had a whole like e-lab and um, we've seen and supported lots of e-labs and those can look a lot of different ways, right? We can print keychains indefinitely or we can do something, you know, interest more interesting. And this class, uh, they partnered with a local hospital and they designed, they worked with patients with, um, well, initially a patient with, I think, cerebral palsy who had limited mobility in her hands and it had been uh, kind of deteriorating with time and she wasn't able to hold silverware anymore. So their first project was to design silverware holders so that she could like enjoy a steak in public. But over time, they kind of iterated that, they developed like, you know, these orthotics became more user-friendly. They kind of had to create them over and over again in partnership with the doctor and the patient. And then they were able to make those in mass, you know, and I say mass in like, you know, 20 plus, but they were able to make bottle openers with people who had limited mobility. They were able to make all sorts of kind of like little tools that were outfitted for people with limited mobility because they had partnered with and worked with and designed alongside these individuals. And then they were able to offer them at really low cost because turns out these things aren't super accessible to these folks. Um, insurance doesn't like just send you these things or pay for these things. And so that was a really cool project that, you know, while they didn't in, you know sell $40,000 worth of product, their products were really cool. They met a really important need and the, the experience that the students had as a result, I, like we'll stay with them forever, right? And so I think there's just been, favorite class was unfair, Ron. This is so cool. I mean, it, you know, even just to bring it back as another example for shop teachers, here's a metal working shop and they're doing a, a burn pit and they've got a rocket stove, which is coming soon. They obviously have some sort of plasma or laser cutter. They're doing words, wall art. They got yep. custom cut products. That one's, uh, oh, that's interesting because that's like a service. That's not even a product. That's like uh, you could just yeah. send a file. That's interesting. Um, cool. I just took this off your website right here. Uh, and if you just go here, that's the metal one. Here's a woodworking one. Um, go to shop. Okay. So, I know that that's a dead page. <laughs> oh, it's dead. Okay. Like, well, a lot of the classes over the summer kind of pulled their websites down. We just rebuilt this dashboard and we learned some things at the end of the year. Like there's no way to turn off the websites, which was a problem before, but we encountered it again. So as a result, uh, a lot of the classes either kind of pulled all their products off 
or kind of would say, you know, put a banner up that said, you know, gone for the summer or something like that. And so I think that's yeah. what happened for Hickson. That's okay. In. I mean, it's kind of like you're iterating, you know. Um, I mean, we're starting to on that page, Ron. Yeah, you are. Absolutely. Yeah. We brought it up before. Let me see. Hold oh. on. That's all right. This is, first, this is the first time I noticed that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We showed it before you got there. I was talking about. Yeah, oh, showed. Nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, I received this one and I showed the video of me unboxing it. And you, uh, so which one was your best seller, uh, Barbacek? Uh, I'd say the elephant, which is funny because that's what students had to do at home during remote learning. Um, okay. Yeah, at least a few. It was just a little sculpture, right? It doesn't do anything, right? It, it can hold a phone. Oh, okay. I got you. It's like, oh, it's an elephant phone holder. It's the elephant in the room. <laughs> That's good. Um, okay. I have a question, at least, that you have to think about for a second. Tell us the bottlenecks, the worst case scenarios that, uh, uh, oh, okay. Damien's got to go. Okay. Uh, worst case scenarios. But before you get to that, Duke, what do you think of this? I feel like Duke would come up with – I feel like he's got something to say. Go for it. I'm thinking about this for fundraising. Do schools use this for fundraising? Yes. I mean, I will say this. It's kind of important for us that students have a say, right, that they're not – this was something that we found early on. It's like this, these, some of the times these student stores are deemed entrepreneurship programs. They're selling Snicker bars, and, like, 70 grand a year is getting, like, snuck into district accounts that then, like, students or you never see again. Uh, and so that was a big piece of it was like that money being available for students to use how they want and teachers to use to support the classroom. Um, and so I think at like a larger scale, a lot of they, they don't think about it in terms of fundraising in that way, like, you know, for the general account. But I think a lot of teachers do know that like this can help support their budget. Right. And that they are using sometimes their sales to fuel bigger projects. And sometimes I've even seen sales campaigns around that, right? We are looking to do X, we're running, like we're selling these products between now and this in order to accomplish this thing, right? So I think there is sometimes that really intentional kind of fundraising aspect. Yeah, fundraising is not like when we were brought up, uh, you can just go door to door and sell candy. Well, first of all, you can't sell candy. The band sells the oranges, the uh, chorus sells the candles, and anybody else can't sell anything. It's true. That's so funny. I sold, I think, Hershey bars for for uh, Little League. I used to go just go to parking lots and whatnot, you know. And now I got I don't even know if they're allowed to do that anymore. It's so funny. Who didn't want, who didn't want ch chocolate? It was so easy to sell that. Easy. I still buy chocolate from kids. Um, I think the other thing we see a lot of is T-shirts, right? And like I, you know, I have a personal commitment that I I can't own any more T-shirts, which is one of the reasons that. Like if classes want to use this for fundraising, I like the idea. I'm pretty committed to like students having like some voice and choice. And also if there has to be fundraising, why would we not make it a more robust learning experience rather than like another set of bullshit t-shirt? I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we can better. I think class just... podcast. You can curse here. It's all right. <laughs> I've been well behaved this whole time. No, you're doing good. What? Uh, Bloomquest, what do you think? One click, buy a whole house. Could you sell houses on there? <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing, man. <laughs> no realtor fees. No realtor fees, Barbara. <laughs> Bloomquest. Uh, you'll Our realtor 30, fees didn't donate back. It'll be far past 30 grand. The, uh, in one house. 
<laughs> well, you know, it's funny when, when I taught at the prison, the, the uh, you know, we talked, we were, you guys were talking about, you know, what, what should the kids build or whatever students build. And obviously I was dealing with adults, but we, uh, I let the adults build whatever they wanted within, you know, rules of the prison, you know, we didn't, it couldn't be something unsafe or used as a weapon, blah, blah, blah. Right. But, uh, I mean, we built all kinds of stuff, everything from like the toy Jeeps to, um, straight up Oak furniture and Walnut furniture. And we would do a sale to the staff and it was super discount. I mean, we could put this out on a market and probably make 10 grand a sale, but we were making two to $3,000 every year selling just whatever the guys built and some of it was just in scrap you know from scrap wood because we'd build the habitat houses and uh habitat would let us get uh order like a full bunk of two by fours and two by sixes and we got to keep the rest so it was pure profit the only kicker was my program only got we'd make like three grand but we'd only get 1500 back and they got divvied up and i was like well all right but um yeah that's awesome let's keep thinking like <clears throat> I mean, this was college level, but, uh, I mean, just think if we were, if there was a way, even the, you know, at the prison level, if they were doing this in e-commerce, I mean, there's a lot more logistics when it comes to pickup and blah, blah, all that other stuff. Sure. But, I mean, they could have been, so we, I mean, if I did have that to prison, this system, we, I'd be making 30 grand would be nothing. Like it, that'd be easy. Look, you can put me on a real soapbox about this one, but I will tell you incarcerated people are some of the most creative and intelligent people you've ever met. Now, maybe they've made some of really poor connections of the dots, uh, but like, I think there is a huge opportunity with, we actually work with a couple classes here in San Diego of incarcerated youth. Um, they're doing shop, shop class. And so one uh, class, one's getting started this year. One has been working with for the last couple of years, but they are making chess sets. You know, and I think for a lot of these young people who have heard a particular story about themselves and maybe their creativity has, you know, their, their powers haven't been used for good. Right. And, and that then becomes like the end of their story because of this, like the cyclical thing that can happen. Right. And I think presenting a, a different narrative, one that's not just like, well, you can go back to school and fit into the box that you di probably didn't fit into super well before, or we can take the skills and interests and, you know, resourcefulness that you likely already have and do something different with that. Uh, and I think we as an organization have been thinking through like, where else can this model be um, productive and, and valuable? And this is a really interesting space for me, like incarcerated people. I, if you want to find the biggest population, condensed population entrepreneurs, go to a prison. They are all business. They are all opportunist. They, like, like you said, they just have to connect their dots in a way that wasn't in line with the law, but they are businessmen and women. They are the most resourceful. They will do the most with least. I became way more creative and resourceful working at a prison, learning from inmates and learn more business and marketing and everything else. If you, I said the highest concentration of entrepreneurs are behind fences. 100%. Hands down. And I think it's something to think about when you think about young people and how often like we have those experiences and, you know, it's probably less conscious, but these people that we like write off, it's like, oh, they're going to be this kind of way. It's like, these are the same people we're talking about 10 years later. We're like, ah, 
they're brilliant. Who could have caught them? You know, <laughs> like, like these are the types of experiences I think that can help them imagine themselves differently and see their skills differently. Because oftentimes entrepreneurial skills are not valued or celebrated in a classroom, right? You're too, you're, you're a troublemaker, you're disruptive, you're mouthy, you might talk too much. Maybe you're too energetic. You don't sit still. Like there are all sorts of things that if you are prone to entrepreneur, like entrepreneurial activity, you may not be deemed successful or praiseworthy in a traditional classroom. And so giving these young people opportunities to see themselves differently, to see themselves successful, I think can just be like a game changer. This is, well, one, it, one, sorry, oh, on. sorry to interrupt. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, you're fine. Um, one of the things too, is you want to see these guys or women, what, whatever prison you're in, get some self-worth really quick. Have them build something, put a price tag on it, and somebody buys it. And they, like, when yes. we were going through pricing everything, and we price everything to get rid of it because we don't have storage room, it's got to go, right? So, Andron Jack chairs were selling for 80 bucks a set, which could go for, I mean, online, you can pay $700 a set, right? And they're like, what? It's that cheap? I'm like, guys, don't look at it as it being cheap. It's just, it has to go, like, right? You know, we want to sell it, but like everybody was trying to build that thing. That's going to be the highest price or the highlight showcase item in the cell. Or, and as soon as they got to the class that next day after the sell, did mine sell, did mine sell, did mine sell? Oh yeah, we sold full price or right away. It was the first thing gone or like they, and then they're like, could I do this out in the world? I'm like, ah, sure. Well, you, yeah, you worse. <laughs> it's so interesting. You know, um, I later, you know, I got into stocks recently and I came across this guy uh, who's, who's currently, currently in prison and they call him, um, they call him Wall Street, Curtis Wall Street Carroll. And I was like, no way. Why would his advice be good? I listened to what he had to say. It's a pretty good strategy for <laughs> buying and selling stocks really good to listen to better than most better than like um listening to uh you know like the the you know the popular people on tv this guy's actually pretty good and so they let him do a ted talk and then over here uh npr did like a whole interview with him and whatnot i mean clearly you know i think he i think he robbed yeah you know, i'm not going to say what he did but basically you know he made some poor decisions when he was a kid you know what I mean? I understand. But um, it's interesting that that is kind of a, uh, a, a an, an, an area that's underdeveloped as far as, of course, you know, these people made mistakes and they need to pay for it. But uh, I'm not, I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it, there's a return rate that I've heard has, is really bad. It's really bad. They come back if you don't empower them. And so then that just costs the state and the taxpayers more money and also more crime happens. Um, so anyway, but yeah, so not to go down that too deep because I don't know too much about it, but that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. What an interesting space that would be. That's cool. All right. I have a question totally opposite of what Ron's talking about. Now, if I'm interested in joining the program, Ed Corps, okay, what do I, what, number one, what do I need to do? And number two, is there a cost associated? Okay, so Tim, did I hear that you're in Illinois? No, I'm in New Jersey. Okay, thank God. 
So in the last like six months, Thank God. months ago, <laughs> like, nothing wrong with, Ill or with uh, Illinois. I'm in Illinois and I agree with that comment. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, we just learned in the last year that we're having like, like business license. They, we can't work in Illinois right now. And until we have enough classes where we can justify as like paying a bunch of money for a, an official audit. So anyways, that's why I was asking if you're in Illinois, because I was about to just break all, all of our dreams. Um, but you're in New Jersey. So great, great news. So well, New Jersey is very hard to work with also. So well, we work in New Jersey, so it's, okay. we've had challenges with contracts and things like that, but it's possible. Right now, Illinois is just not possible, and it's the only state that it is not possible. So typically, um, and we're in the middle of like a transition as an organization. We have always, we started being a grant maker because we wanted to get classes money, but we realized we had to develop a program for that. And then we started taking other people's money and granting that out, right? So that's the Hard Harbor Freight Initiative. So we're asking more people for money, but we've never charged people for our services. Uh, even though along the way, as we ran out of money and we would say, people say like, we wanna work with you. And we're like, oh, we're out of money. And they'd say like, well, we don't care. Like, so wanna work with you, like, can we pay, right? So we just developed a license model. So we have our like micro grant pathway where we work with teachers under a grant model where it doesn't charge, we don't, it doesn't cost teachers anything or schools anything, uh, but those funds are limited. We have another model where um, schools or districts can pay a licensing fee, right? And that covers our technology, that covers like, you know, the accountant who's filing all the county taxes for every state and county that we operate in. It's seed funding back to the classroom and toolkit funding and all these things, right? Um, and then there's a third way that we just launched, which is a crowdfunding approach, right? Where the classes are still crash out there. I just moved. I don't know what the big crashes are yet. So it could be my kids, could be somebody else's kids. I'm going to pretend I don't know the difference. Um, <laughs> and so the crowdfunding approach allows classes, if we're out of money and schools or districts aren't in position to pay for the licensing fee, then the crowd, we have a crowdfunding platform that we've worked with just as our own, for our own fundraising purposes. And classes can create fundraising campaigns under our umbrella to crowdfund their program costs. And it, that's a new idea that we've kind of run with as people have kind of recommended or suggested said hey you know hey have you thought about this you know one of the things I think about often is just like every pizza place that's got like little league pictures hanging in it you know what does it look like and and isn't it a maybe a better pitch for local businesses to be you know funders angel funders to be sponsors of these student-run businesses to help them get started and so we're hoping to see where that goes this year for classes that want to get started but maybe we're out of funds to get them started yeah because I was just wondering like if, if I wanted to say approach you guys and you know i kind of want to know what is the what do i have to put out versus what the district has to put out or if there's no put out so that's what i was kind of wondering well, so you're a shop teacher which means what you teach what grade do you teach high school high school shop so we have a cohort of high school shop teachers our harbor freight ed corps where we have typically space for growth right and so for this cohort of teachers you know and, and folks who fall under this high school public high school steel trades kind of umbrella um there we have those grant dollars available so i guess what i'm trying to say and so if that's the case just reach out and i can put you in contact with adam from our team and i get first dibs now i'm, I'm just I'm just Go joking. Ahead. Tim, you should you should do it. I'll do it with you, and we'll see what. And then we can trade notes and help each other. No, you do it first. No, nah, you do it first, man. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to do it, but you well, you got to do it, man. That would okay. be awesome. You already did it. Don't be schmucks. Now yeah. let me ask you: uh, Is New York on the, on your list? Because 
the last time I tried to do what I talked about earlier, that was all during college and high school that I was doing that. But I've asked, you know, my administration, and they've told me directly that students are not to walk out with any extra money. Right. Yeah. So that's why when you kind of shared that, I thought, hmm, I wonder how that works out. Yeah, uh, way back when. Yeah, I can imagine like envelopes with cash, um, which I wouldn't advise today. Um, so yeah, so with several schools in New York. Oh, okay. Very kind of district by district, you know, uh, at the end of the day, like sometimes the principal will sign our contract and sometimes they'll say, you know, the superintendent needs to sign it. And then sometimes they'll say, then the lawyers need to see it. And so we have districts. And, and what I will say is it's helpful when we've worked with other folks in nearby districts or in the state, because we can say, hey, look, other New York lawyers felt fine about it. So it's probably, you know, we're good. Um, but we can never totally guarantee like what your school or district is going to say. Yeah. But it's it's funny, like 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 um, Nick said, like yeah, you can't hand a kid four hundred bucks and walk out, but they could make a four hundred dollar worth of piece of furniture, and 100%. there's no no problem with that. Yes, and I know for sure without naming any names that there have been students, and I, and I don't say this like in an accusatory way, like this is only props for my end, but I know that there have been students who have made things and then gone on and sold those things outside of the classroom. And it's been a huge success story in my eyes, right? They're like, we took home three bookshelves and, and then sold them and didn't even know that was a thing, right? Like, and then they get to pop mm -hmm. that money. That's, that's, that's a great success story. I don't like, I want students to learn and feel empowered and for teachers to have the resources they need and not lose their jobs. And if that's a strategy, like more power to you. Yeah, I know the kids are selling the stuff that they make in shop. I mean, hey, it's, it is what it is. I, if I don't know about it, I, I don't know about it. That's on them. But as soon as it walks out that door, you I know. Mean, like, yeah. you do know about it. Maybe we can give them a high five. I think it's awesome that they're, I don't know if it's not technically not allowed, um, but I think it's rad that as they see their own work, they're understanding that there's value to it. Because I even think that piece, even for so many adults, this idea of like, hey, you could sell this. Like that self-doubt is so real and inhibiting for a lot of people. So if your students are like, pushing through that and selling their stuff like they like, congratulations from me <laughs> that's awesome mm -hmm. yeah it is yeah i mean it's cool to see that but it's funny how like like nick said you mean you can't give the kid 400 bucks but you can send them home with 400 dollars mm -hmm. of lumber oh. you know it's, it's just funny it's just it's just funny oh, how things work it is it really is i mean i've had a few at least a handful of my students you know after our pen turning unit and even making cutting boards you know, they, they have that equipment at home and they've even told me, you know, that they've started a side business and that isn't part of my unit, but, you know, they've asked me questions here and there and, you know, like Tim said earlier, they're, they're the overachievers that you want to coddle, but not, you know, do too much for, but you want to help them out and they excel outside of the classroom. Pretty easy. I that has to be a, a huge success story, right? Like that they're, learning something in the classroom so much that they're actually taking it on and working by choice outside of the classroom. Like that feels if, if a student was like it's learning biology at home and running. Yeah, totally. If they're like running experiments at home, we'd say like, man, it's that, like, that's a huge science success story. Like, I feel like this is the exact same thing. This is like, it's like they're grabbing onto these deals are seeing the value and they're like integrating it into their lives. Like that's incredible. Yeah, that's and awesome. I mean, go ahead. Uh, so we have a CEO program here and 
they it's ran by like um you know established business people in the community or whatever is like the actual is the teacher well now it's actually now guys remember neil that came on did, did does our media very entrepreneur minded stuff he's actually running the ceo program but it was done by a former banker in town but anyways the one one of their big projects at the end of the year is they have all the businesses into the program and they fund a startup and every every student starts a business the of, for the end of the year for the project hmm. so i'm kind of wondering if maybe i don't know if there's something with you guys teaming up on something like this because i mean some of the projects some of the products some business or services others are um product i so, mean there was somebody that was still i forget what product was they were selling something and even they paid through college that's awesome from their uh, from a school project i wonder if this is something and it's high school so i well shoot, we're in illinois gosh damn see this is how you know you're doing something good because illinois government likes to take good ideas and make it impossible to get it done so you guys are on the right path <laughs> oh yeah yeah i have a I have a student right now that, she, I mean, has, I, I mean, I guess it's just from working with her hands, but she's out making and she's selling um, jewelry on Etsy. So she's, she's out selling that. And it but, was none of, it was none of that, that we, that I did with her. It was just, you know, she was very creative, very artistic and is out there selling jewelry and, and making a kill and doing it. I think one of the most important things that happens is that like light switch of like understanding that I am capable, right? Like whether you're, you know, using power tools and doing woodworking or making jewelry or, you know, running a catering business, there is something about like, I have a thing I can offer it. And like that actual leap of like, I can actually offer this to the world in exchange for value. And I, you know, I can deliver on this. I know that like, even if I don't have all the things figured out, I'll figure it out as I go. And I think the only way we can learn that we're capable is by watching ourselves be capable, right? Is by having these experiences like, oh, I, I just did it. Like, it was very recent in my life that I rode on a bicycle with no hands. And I had this moment of like, I was, you know, in my 30s and I was like, I'm not the kind of person who can do this. I'm a clumsy person. Like, I hate no hands, guys, you know? And so it was this moment of like, oh, I'm, I'm capable of these types of things. And it just reminded me so often that like, that is that piece of just like understanding yourself differently that when your student is, you know, you didn't teach her about this jewelry crafting, right? But outside of your, you know, partially because of the experiences that she's having in your classroom outside of that, she can then go try and do different things and make those risks. Did we have to though? I want to share this. I think it's very important that we show people this. Look, this is Forbes and she's, and Elise here is in the 30, uh, under 30. But here's the thing. The, the key part is, her professor asked her, this is like why she's doing this, right? Okay, so I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think that this is really a great uh, uh, a question to ask. The professor asked, what makes you angry? And her answer was lost potential. Like, so Elise is not happy with, you know, the kids not meeting their potential, like what they can see. And so there's this great little video they have. Where, where they talk about it. Right. It's the time for the bathroom break. I mean, I think uh, you, you got to check out this video. It's really cool. Okay. I really, I think, I think it's probably, I think they've seen a great, I think they've seen enough, Ron. I think that's probably sufficient. 
Um, I think you all know this better than most educators. Uh, this, you know, lost potential is probably one way to like say it, but also just this thing where, you know, uh, uh, like the um, un, or a mistold story, you know, where a student has been told a story about their limitations or they believe a story about their limitations or, you know, uh, having such a narrow idea of what success looks like that it's just so inhibiting and so exclusive and we leave out so many really brilliant and creative and talented human beings and i think about shop class i think about you know this story of all these troublemakers who thrive in shop class and whether that's you know whether that's a trope or true i think i've seen it be true in a lot of in a lot of ways and spaces and i think that is just like the beauty that i often hope to help support but that you all probably see pretty often right like the potential that isn't being really nurtured in other spaces, but is so ready to be cultivated. If like, you know, if we actually like open up our eyeballs and see those young people for who they are. Absolutely. So cool. Well, um, usually right about now we wrap up the recording, but then we kind of uh, kill the recording, but people can hang out. And usually sometimes the hangouts even better. Uh, which might be encouragement for more people to join. So um, I don't know if there's anything else anybody wants to add. Otherwise, we could wrap up the recording part. I guess just thanks for letting me join today. Yeah, no, at least thanks for doing this. This is awesome. I, I want to try the system, and I'm going to come up with a plan. Uh, actually, I'm going to let my students come up with a plan. I'm going to show it to them. Um, we do uh, – uh, lately I've been doing a lot of – focus contest uh products instead of just doing like it's not just craftsmanship it's like all right here's what here's your goal but those could end up being what we sell like the um so it would be really cool to see how that works with an economy site and yeah i don't want to do all the work to set up the economy site and i also need mentorship and some advice and stuff like that so uh i think this is pretty cool i'm gonna I'm, i want to give it a try this is something I, contests and marketplace are the two areas that I've been focusing on in the last couple of years. And also personally, I would I'm, I have a product that I'm working on, so I can learn with the students and take that take that experience as well. Story uh, of life, you know, we're all just learning. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, right, very, yeah go ahead. Uh, I'd be interested to look at at the fundraising aspect because we do have a lot of competitions. We have some overnight competitions. We have. You know, the bus, we have to, like, lodging costs the kids a lot. And, you know, you can only sell so many meat sticks before some other group starts selling them, too. But uh, I jumped in late. I uh, I sold – I did a marketing program with a group of kids, too, life skills kids. And uh, we made these mantle clocks. Oh, that's so cool. You know, with the clocks, we also were able to teach them uh, time skills, shape skills, um, and counting money. They they made I made the jigs for uh, for for them all, um, telling time. But uh, so the measurements were exact. They just put the wood in device, and then uh, you know they put it into a, a miter box basically, and they're able to cut everything exactly at the same time. But I did their outer edges for them. They sanded it. They assembled them. I had jigs of pictures for the assembly and everything. But uh, they, they had a, I got a cash register for them. We put it on like an overhead projector cart. 
We uh, they made posters. They advertised them. The teachers bought them. We went up to the teachers' classes. They gave the kids the money. They counted the money. So I thought it was a pretty cool program I did with the life skills kids. I just want to share that. Was that middle school, Duke? Yeah, middle school. Yep, that's cool. So a lot of it's, it's different every year. A lot of times they have to be included in the classes, so um, it, it makes it. You know, a lot of the uh, the regular kids will take them under their wings. But um, this class, I'll give up my planning period until we get this project done. Um, so we just put them all in one combined class. So you do the clocks every year or, or no certain every year, something different. Yeah. Last year, we did birdhouses. I brought back the birdhouses because we had a laser engraver. We laser engraved the top. So it was around Mother's Day. But traditionally, we did the clocks. You know, the program's done. It's done done pretty well. Uh, all the jigs and fixtures are already done. It's very safe. So the thing with the birdhouses, I had to make all new tools. You know, I had to do re re retooling. So, but a lot of the aides that were with the kids, they're like, we have four clocks. <laughs> Can we make something else? <laughs> But I get all the, the scrap wood from the high school because the pieces are very small, so I can get some exotic woods instead of just using pine or poplar. We have uh, walnut. Kids will mix them up. Walnut, maple, cherry. You know, so it's pretty. It's a pretty cool project. I can get you some scraps too, Duke, if you need any. And sawdust. I saw you had 30 bags of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I want to, maybe we should start making wood pellets. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, let's, the help, so. let's wrap up the recording. This was great. At least thanks so much. And everybody here, you know, Tim, Matt, Matt, Nick, Duke, Damien. Uh, this was awesome. Thanks for being here. Um, Shop Class Podcast. Uh, check us out Wednesday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. And on our website, and I'm oh, sorry, our YouTube channel. And then we also have the. I'm doing. I'm gonna bring them the uh, the anchor the anchor app back. You know the old episodes. We're gonna start bringing those back. Anyway, all right. Shop class podcast in the recording. Thank you. Thank you. Um.